Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, a show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Ted Miller, Senior Vice President of Development and External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and get back to normal. Our licensed professionals provide patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, pediatric support, and more. You can find out how to access our services on our website at cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's episode is part of our special series, Spotlight on Skin Cancer. In today's conversation, we're going to take a close look at advanced non-melanoma skin cancer with particular focus on treatment options. With advances in detection, diagnosis, and treatments for both melanoma and non-melanoma, these cancers are being discovered at earlier stages and treat it with a much more personalized approach. But as we know, with advances come opportunities and challenges, and we have two experts to walk us through the latest on what patients should know. So it's my pleasure to welcome from the Ellis Fischel Cancer Center in Columbia, Missouri, two distinguished guests. Our first is Dr. Greg Biederman and Dr. Christos Papagiorgio. I'm gonna tell you a little, bit, a little bit about each of our guests, and then we're gonna get on to the key answers to the questions you, our listeners, have. So let me start with Dr. Biederman. He is a radiation oncologist at Ellis Fischel Cancer Center in Columbia, Missouri. We're straight from the heartland, as I mentioned. He sees adult and pediatric patients diagnosed with cancer. His areas of interest are head and neck cancers, brain cancers, and stereotactic radiation. Dr. Biederman performs the majority of what's called internal radiation therapy at Ellis Fischel. Our other guest is Dr. Christos Papagiorgio. A colleague of Dr. Biederman's, he serves as a medical oncologist and associate professor of medicine at Ellis Fischel Cancer Center. Dr. Papa Giorgio has over 27 years of experience in the field and has published over 19 medical articles. His research interest involves utilizing metabolic pathways and micronutrients in the fight against cancer in general and breast and skin cancer in particular. Doctors, thank you so much for joining us from the sh- uh, today from the Show Me State. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Well, do- yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Papa Giorgio, we're going to start with you, and we're going to give you a question that's going to help level set a lot of things for our listeners. Can you just give us the, the very short um, explanation of the difference between melanoma and non-melanoma, which I think there's a lot of people still are confused on that point. Uh, sure. Thank you. Uh, first of all, again, uh, honored to be here and participate. Um, uh, these different different cancers, the melanoma and non-melanoma, differ in their cell of origin. Uh, first of all, um, the, um, the, the this the superficial layer of our skin is called the epidermis, uh, and is separated by the subcutaneous fat by a, a small, a very thin membrane, the basal membrane, and that's exactly where the basal cells are sitting, and uh, they're giving birth to the uh, kind of flatter cells, the squamous cells that gradually populate the superficial layers of the skin. So we have these two different 
types of cells, the basal cells, where the basal cell carcinoma comes, and the squamous cells, the more superficial layers, uh, where the squamous cell carcinoma originates from. And then in between the cells, um, there are what we call the melanocytes. Um, th those are the cells where the uh, melanoma types of tumors originate from, from, and they give our skin the tan or brown color through the melanin production, um, which acts as a, you know, as a natural sunscreen, protecting the deeper layers of the skin from the, uh, you know, the damaging effects of, um, of, uh, of, you know, ultraviolet, ultraviolet uh, radiation. And, um, and those different three types of cells, again, give the, uh, the squamous, the basal, and the melanoma, and they have different behaviors because they have different um, cells of origin, and we can talk further about sure, the behavior. Sure. That's thank you, Dr. Papagiorgio. One one other thing, and, and this is just kind of like a sort of at the plainest kind of language level, because a lot of folks asked us about what are the different types of advanced non-melanoma skin cancers. If you could just briefly elaborate on what like kind of a list out of what you know people you know people may be hearing and maybe distinguish you know what the, what exactly those advanced cancers are like. Um, advanced cancers in terms of. Uh, um, 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 like non, oh yeah, certainly like non melanoma, sort of the the ones that have really you know sort of those advanced skin, uh, skin advanced uh, non melanoma skin cancers, those kinds of types. If there are anything that maybe you know people should be aware of, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so the uh, basal uh, and and squamous cell cancers usually appear more than melanoma in the sun-exposed areas of the skin, yeah. where most of the uh, sun, um, you know, damage from the sun occurs. Uh, and the basal cells usually pre uh, 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 appear, again, in the sun-exposed areas, the face, the, uh, 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 the neck, uh, uh, arms, uh, as pearly um, uh, lesions. Like, they, they have a very translucent, um, like a pimple, but translucent. And they have usually you can see little vessels on the surface of that of that uh, um, of that lesion um, versus the squamous cell cancer that usually presents more like uh, uh, a patch uh, of uh, dry tissue and sometimes it can itch or it can bleed. Uh, so those are some of the signs that one should be suspicious of. Um, and then when it's more advanced, uh, usually the squamous cell appears to be have this more aggressive behavior than basal cell. So if there is anything about the squamous is that in a more advanced stage is that it usually goes to the local lymph nodes. So the patient may feel uh, or a person may feel like a lump or uh, you know, a bump like in the armpit or in the groin, depending on where, uh, what part of the, of, the, of the body, like the trunk or the extremities, the, the lesion is. So uh, those are some other signs like lumps or bumps in, in skin folds where our lymph nodes usually are, are signs of more advanced disease. And usually advanced disease usually means squamous more than basal cell. Basal cell usually has a more um, kind of be not, not benign. I, I don't want to use the, you know, it's not, it's a misnomer because it is cancer. It's going to come back. 
if it's not treated aggressively at the beginning, but it doesn't tend to remember what we said about the epidermis and the basal layer. They don't seem to break the basal membrane as frequently as squamous cell does. Got it. And so Dr. Biederman, we're going to bring you into this conversation. Uh, you know, Dr. Papa Giorgio mentioned all of these different ways in which, you know, precancerous or early stage non um, melanoma skin cancer can appear, but can you elaborate a little bit about, you know, how does it advance and maybe who's at high risk? Sure. Yeah. I just want to back up a little bit. One thing, again, in yeah. terms of, you know, the, the topic of advanced non-melanoma skin cancer, you know, yeah. and I was thinking about this, um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I think as oncologists, we, we know what that means, but I don't think there's a universal uh, definition. So saying something right, right. advanced uh, non-melanoma skin cancer can mean many different things. So um, but I did find it actually an interesting kind of reasonable summary of that is that's where, as Dr. Papa Giorgio was saying, as opposed to staying in its place, so staying within the skin, now it's, a, it's growing into mm. near, you know, structures, into the fat, into the muscles, into the nerves, or more distantly into the lymph nodes. So that's kind of taking the question kind of backwards. That's the most advanced. So, you know, what are, how does this advance? Again, you, you have these cancerous cells that may form um, on the layers of the skin they uh, may uh, you know, slowly progress over time and you can start to develop some of these changes that Dr. Papa Giorgio talked about. Um, and as time goes by, eventually, um, you know, these lesions can now start to find different routes of spread. They can grow into things. Uh, some of this is actually held in check by our own body's, by our body's mm -hmm. own immune system. Um, and sometimes it's the breakdown in the immune system that, uh, that allows these uh, lesions from going from either precancerous then to cancer is to then what we call, you know, or we could classify as advanced. Um, so that's, that's one of the kind of main pathways. There's, a, there are other pathways. I don't get too much in the details of, of how these sure. things, but generally it's an abnormal cell starts to grow unchecked, maybe checked, then eventually bypasses that and can start to in, in, uh, grow into invade other structures. Um, and, uh, thank you for Oh, go ahead, Dr. Papa Giorgio. Did you want to add anything? I just, uh, I, I suppose it's a, um, uh, it kind of a nice segue to another question that you, you may or may not be asked about the staging, because yeah. I think that kind of attaches to the staging. And as Dr. Biederman was saying, what is advanced cancer? Actually, that's a great question because you don't have a definition, and that's why it's so hard to stage this. Usually, for every solid tumor, we have a particular dedicated solid staging system sponsored by the American Joint Cancer Committee, the AJCC, um, and, uh, which is called the TNM. And for skin cancers, that's only limited to the head and neck area. For any other location, we don't really have uh, the TNM staging system because it's really, you know, those are cutaneous lesions that follow pathways on the skin and the epidermis and the basal membrane and the and the fatty tissue and the muscles and the lymph the lymph ducts to get to the blood vessels to the bone. So we're trying. Uh, you know, there's the Brigham and Women's uh, criteria that we can utilize for uh, lesions that are a certain size uh, that mm -hmm. kind of help us define risk. And if you look at the national guidelines that's published on the nccn.org, which is a great website for, yeah. for both patients and, uh, and their families and physicians like us uh, that we consult all the time, um, for any other location other than the head and neck, instead of using, of using the AJCC state TNM staging system, we have those uh, low-risk, high-risk categories, which is according to the, uh, you know, the tumor size 
like two centimeters uh, of the actual look, you know, the, 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 the size of the lesion, like two centimeters versus four versus more than four, or the depth of invasion, the differentiation, like how well differentiated the tumor looks like under the microscope. Um, and um, again, the presence of lymph nodes or not, or if the patient is in immunosuppression or not. So there are certain parameters that we are trying to define what is advanced and what is not advanced uh, skin cancer uh, that can be treated uh, accordingly to the to the risk status. Because again, what is advanced cancer in in skin in non melanoma skin cancer? Uh, is very hard to, to define, and it's being revised continuously. And so, Dr. Papa Giorgio, thank you for that explanation. And Dr. Biederman, when we come back, we're going to pick up a little bit on this conversation in terms of patient staging and some of, and speak a little bit more about who's at risk for uh, advanced non-melanoma skin cancers in particular. Uh, but we're going to uh, take a little, well, uh, frankly speaking about cancer, we'll be back in a couple of minutes, but we want to thank um, our generous sponsors, Sanofi, Genzyme, and Regeneron, for giving us this opportunity to talk about this important issue for cancer patients. We'll be back soon. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Hello, I'm Ted Miller, your host of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm glad to be back here in this segment with our two incredible guests, Dr. Greg Biederman and Dr. Christos Papagiorgio. From, and then we're talking today about advanced non-melanoma skin cancers. Dr. Biederman, we, at the last, set, last segment, we said we would come back to sort of talk about a question that we get from a lot of people, and that's who is at risk really for advanced non-melanoma skin cancers? And if you could talk a little bit about that and then maybe deal with um, some of the misperceptions um, that that uh, black and brown people may not be at risk for this type of cancer. If you would, can kind of summarize that really quickly for some of our listeners, that would be wonderful. Sure. So the short answer, who's at risk for uh, non-melanoma skin cancer is everybody, anyone who has skin. Um, you know, the long answer is obviously the, the risk factors. So the biggest risk factor is sun exposure. 
Um, and this kind of gets back to some of the description of the, the skin that Dr. Papa Joger started off with. So obviously the skin is exposed and, and we have those basal cells, we have those squamous cells. They're the ones that can get damaged over time. The more sun exposure, the more potential damage, therefore the, the more likely that one of these cells can essentially go rogue. So, you know, highest risk is people who have had a lot of sun exposure. Uh, you know, the obvious uh, concern is patients who tend to be fair skinned tend to have more because they may not have as much of the melanin in their skin, which gives us the pigment. And that is, as Dr. Papa Giorgio mentioned earlier, you know, the, that's kind of the natural um, sunscreen that our body makes, if you will. Um, and so when we don't have that, it's, it's not uh, uh, absorbing those, uh, those rays and therefore they may uh, cause uh, damage to the underlying skin. Uh, the other th factor is, as I kind of alluded to before, is is actually you know, the immune system. You know, we have these abnormal cells start in our body all the time, and for the most part, particularly as, you, as we're younger, the the body says, "Okay, this is not normal," and can help wall it off, shut it down, or or potentially get rid of it. Um, as we get older, or as we have other health issues, or for immunosuppressed. So. You know, immunosuppression, some people may have drugs that like rheumatologic disorders, they're on steroids or other drugs that actually bring down the immune system. Some people with cancer care, um, well, you know, chemotherapy that can decrease the immune system. Um, uh, transplant patients, we're basically trying to wipe out the immune system so that their, you know, their organs can come in. Um, and as we get older, our immune system isn't as robust. Uh, so that's kind of one of the biggest risk factors. That's why we tend to see a lot of these skin cancers in patients, either with multiple health issues or patients who are older. Um, in terms of, you know, again, do, you know, anyone who has, you know, natural pigment. So on, is it only the, you know, red haired, fair skinned people from Northern Europe? No, it's anyone's at risk and any sun exposure. I do think it is a little bit harder to detect. Um, and maybe the, the misnomer of, of I'm not at risk for it. If you do have natural pigment, um, and that may delay, you know, ultimately diagnosing it, it may delay your ability or your interest in seeking care may delay, delay the physician from even noticing these lesions. Uh, cause sometimes they can show up as pigmented. They can look initially as moles. Uh, small red spots, um, breakdowns in the skin that may be easily dismissed. So I do think, um, I don't know data off the top of my head, but there have been studies showing that, yeah, these things are, are delayed, unfortunately, in some of these, uh, some of these populations. And Dr. Biederman, we've talked a lot about the cancer support at the cancer support community, I guess, in general, about sort of health inequities and some of the obstacles and mm -hmm. barriers that people face when trying to get just basic screening and services in healthcare, particularly in cancer. I was wondering if you and Dr. Pava Giorgio, feel free to weigh in too. Um, you know, when it comes to some of this non-melanoma skin cancers, do you, is it in your experience, do you think that some of your patients or some of the people, when you tell people about your patient's circumstances, that it comes with judgment, that people think that they're spending too much time in the sun or they haven't taken the, the necessary precautions to get screened? Do you, how do you kind of help uh, patients or how, is that something that you, that you, you hear from your patients a lot about the judgment? And either one of you can oh. just jump right in about that. I mean, I think the challenge is, well, it's okay, I'll just jump in first, but I think the challenge is, uh, okay. you know, is a lot of the things that we talk about, so sunscreen protection, sunburns, yeah. uh, sun exposure, are things that happen 20, yeah. 30, 40 years prior to getting a skin cancer. By the time someone develops mm. skin cancer at that time point, we may miss that opportunity to kind of prevent against it. Mm. And again, you know, there's generational differences. And, you know, um, I know when I was growing up, I mean, we started talking about, you know, skin, uh, sorry, sunscreen and, you know, trying not to uh, be out in the sun and maybe in the middle of the day sometimes, but, you know, as a kid, you're not going to listen to that, you know? Um, and, uh, um, 
now I think, you know, raising kids myself, obviously we're lathering it on all the time. So, you know, there's generational differences there. So I don't know that, you know, intent or knowledge is necessarily always the factor, but um, I do think sometimes knowledge can be the barrier in terms of discovery. So, you know, again, some people, you know, again, we, we see, you know, in, in Missouri, we're seeing again, patient, you know, people who are out on the farm all day long, they're in the sun, they don't think about that. And then, you know, decades later, they have something and it's oh, okay, that's no big deal. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't need to see my doctor. And then it becomes a bigger problem. And now we've gone from this smaller cancerous to now, however we want to define it being advanced, potentially skin cancer, that could be potentially life changing. So yeah. Yeah, and Dr. Papa Giorgio, I'd like to just pick up on if you'd have anything to add specifically about the changes. Can you give people a sense of when they should start? I mean, if there's no like golden or sort of clear age line or timeline, but uh, Dr. Papa Giorgio, when would you tell people to sort of really start putting this on the list of things to be concerned about? And really, is, it, is there a specific age or, you know, career no, line? Or actually, it? studies have shown that the earlier, the better. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it's those sunscreens actually where when we were yeah. like, you know, the the, the skin burn, that those are the ones that are uh, related mostly, as Dr. Biederman said, 20, 30, 40 years of interval of a lag. And uh, both melanoma and non-melanoma cancers have that um, lag. So as early as possible, when I was in New York, I saw commercials like, uh, or advertising or, you know, promotional material that said, uh, kind of start early, fry now, pay later, or uh, lip slabs, something like, uh, just to make it easy for the world or the, everyone to understand how important is to actually slab, you know, kind of slather a huge, you know, like uh, put it in your, you know, that's in your palm, you should cover the palm and then just, slab lather uh, on your body and um, um, and dermatologists of course can weigh in more about how frequently it needs to be reapplied when you're under sun exposure for a certain period of time every 20 to 30 minutes uh, and um, um, I think one part of that education uh, that I've seen that we may be uh, lagging behind is the uh, you know, th there has been an increase in, in Hispanics, uh, like mm -hmm. because of the lack of translation material mm -hmm. in Spanish. Uh, so th there, there have been uh, uh, some, if you look at the statistics, uh, the rate in Hispanics is rising and it's rising disproportionately uh, to other um, um, uh, uh, to other segments of the uh, American uh, population, and uh, um, I think one of the uh, of, uh, is uh, of the uh, of the reasons is actually again the lack of education or what to like how to screen what what to look for uh, and uh, and the risks of sun exposure and uh, and that's the misconception again that the people with brown or black color that mm -hmm. they're protected but then again there's a certain as dr biederman was saying there is a certain degree of protection that after repeated exposure it kind of goes away it's like uh, it's it's actually you know the increased melanin becomes like a red flag of the uh, of the damage done through uh, the uh, reactive oxygen species, we call it ROS. So sun damage through the uh, you know the cytosine to thymine dimers and the DNA creates a lot of um, 
uh, one of the mechanisms uh, is to create a lot of inflammation and reactive oxygen species that melanin is supposed to absorb to and scavenge. But there comes a certain period of uh, threshold that it can't anymore. It, it doesn't matter if you're white, fair skin, brown or black. It doesn't matter what color. And those are that's exactly where I feel that the misconception exists that you're you're protected because we, we believe that you know you know I have more melanin so I'm protected but that's that you know melanin has a certain protection up to a certain level actually there were studies measuring the the wavelength of protection of melanin and how much there's a, a, a unit that you can actually measure how much melanin you needed above beyond which you are not protected anymore, no matter what your skin color is. And I feel to kind of make this long story short, we need to contact, uh, again, uh, in, in all kinds of languages like Asian, uh, Hispanic, uh, in material that kind of informs all, all segments of our population. And I think that's one of the things that we need to do. Um, you know, like we, even with, you know, our broadcast, if it can be translated or for all, all people. And, and Dr. Papadurgia, as you mentioned, they were talking about sort of all of the elements in terms of people raising awareness. Um, um, we're going to, we have a couple of minutes before our next segment. So I wanted to, Dr. Biederman, we, I wanted to just get, have you weigh in here. We, and we can cover this again. Let's talk about like, what is the diagnosis? What are the top two or three things people should know once they've been, you know, diagnosed, once they've gone, you know, they're no longer at the, at the stage of they're, they're getting the, the news about the diagnosis. What are, what is, what's, what's kind of the first thing that you want to tell that you usually tell your patients when that happens? Yeah. So, so, I mean, given the diagnosis of skin cancer, yeah. skin cell, yeah. cell, I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, I mean, it's important to know what the diagnosis is, distinguishing between the two. And there's some other rare skin cancers, yeah. which we're not covering today. Uh, next is, you know, then obviously discussing basic parameters of treatment options. And, you know, then the, the other factors will come in in terms of, you know, the, I guess, some of the social support type of factors, too. And I think that's the next thing is like, again, we talk about these things, sun exposed areas, that's yeah. usually arms, face, visible areas of her body. And what yeah. is that going to, how is that going to impact? So I think those are the things that I think patients kind of start working through first is what is this and, and what can we do about it? And what does it mean to me? Okay. So Dr. Peterman, you set, a, set us up perfectly for uh, the next segment because we're going to come back uh, for, for listeners. We're going to come back and hear from the, continue to hear from the two doctors, but we're going to really change things up a little bit and get and take you behind, uh, behind the scenes because we have two oncologists who have two, two different areas of specialties. They're going to help demystify that and tell us a little bit more about what that means and how you all as patients can help be more informed in terms of what, they, what, what it takes in terms of an entire medical team working on it once you've been diagnosed. Um, but before we do that, uh, this is Ted Miller with the Frankly Speaking About Cancer. It's great to have um, you listening, and we'll be back in a moment. And we just want to once again thank our generous sponsors from Sanofi, Genzyme, and Regeneron. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer.
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Hi, this is Ted Miller, the host of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm joined today by Drs. Biederman and Papa Giorgio, and we're talking about advanced non-melanoma skin cancers. As promised in the previous segment, we're going to talk, pull the, the lens back, or I guess pull the curtain back, rather, in terms of what the patient experience is like. And Dr. Biederman, we're going to talk and start with you because your title is radiation oncologist. So you can kind of explain to our listeners what that means. And you mentioned earlier that you really wanted to talk about how people how people eventually find their way to you. And then Dr. Papa Giorgio will have a, another conversation about your area of oncology and where and where the patient might uh, end up in, in your office as well. So Dr. Biedemann, take us, take, let, we'll let you kick off this segment. Okay, thanks, Ted. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm a radiation oncologist. And you know, the way I look at it is, uh, just globally speaking, not with regard to skin cancer, but oncology, there's kind of three arms to it. There's the surgical side, you know, that's what most people think of. And, um, and then, so radiation and medical oncology, which tends to be involved with things like, you know, chemotherapy or, or kind of medical treatment of cancer care. So radiation oncology, uh, use radiation treatments as the name would imply for, uh, for this. And, um, you know, radiation oncology is used in multiple different areas, uh, but basically radiation is used. So it is x-rays are directed at the tumor to try and kill the tumor and treat the areas potentially around it. So we use it in a couple instances of skin cancer. Some instances we use it as primary treatment, so you know, smaller or even a larger skin cancer that maybe is not good candidate for surgery for various reasons. I can get into that in a minute. Um, we may treat this as the primary uh, approach. Um, this is sometimes many da- you know, daily treatment, many days, sometimes over several weeks uh, to, to eradicate the tumor. These are pretty brief treatments. You don't really feel or see x-rays. Um, sometimes we use other types of treatment techniques called electrons, which is another form of radiation. Um, you know, it feels like I could probably spend most of the talk talking exactly what radiation is and radiation oncology. I'm trying to keep the, hit the highlights here. So, uh, let me know if, if there's something you want more detail in. Um, the other role that we use for radiation is typically, uh, for, again, given our, our topic of advanced, uh, non-melanoma skin cancer, um, after surgery, sometimes when we see very high risk features, it's invading into things like bone or nerves, or if it's very spread to some of the lymph nodes, then we use radiation in addition to, uh, surgery to help try and prevent the cancer from coming back. You know, having said that, you know, there are multiple members of our team who actually get involved with, mm. with the care before that. So, you know, most patients may present various different ways. They may present, again, something abnormal on the skin. They may feel a lump somewhere, or if they're going to do uh, what we talked about before, some potential screening. And then, you know, I think uh, getting routine skin checks, particularly, again, there's no age cutoff, but, you know, adulthood some point, particularly if you've had multiple sunburns or you know, um, you know, you've had a lot of sun exposure, you know, dermatologists may be performing routine skin, uh, skin examination. Uh, we see a lesion, we see something that's suspicious. And a lot of times that leads to potentially a biopsy. They may be able to do a you know, needle into it or just shave off the top of it, which, uh, you know, just get a sample of it. And that helps us distinguish the diagnosis. So now we say, okay, this is a cancerous and it may be again, melanoma, or we're talking about basal cell or squamous cell or other unusual non-melanoma skin cancers that's how the diagnosis first comes about Then um, other members of the team. So that dermatologist may talk about various treatments. So topical treatment, just removing it, freezing it, things of that nature sometimes requires surgery. And there's dermatologists who specialize just in surgical procedures, something called Mohs surgery, which is 
taking the core of the tumor out and then cutting around it as uh, the edges around it. So they have to take just as minimal amount of skin as they have to, to make sure they've cleared the tumor. So we're not taking, you know, a one inch tumor on your, on your forearm and taking a, you know, six inch, you know, swath around that to make sure we got around it. They're going to try and make sure it's 1.1 or 1.2 inches around it. So they take as little skin. So it, it looks as, as, uh, as normal later. And that's a pretty effective treatment for early stages. Um, you know, we also have other, you know, surgical members of the team and, and also Dr. Papa Giorgio, but the other is aspect of that is we also routinely get together in kind of these conferences to discuss some of the cases. Some, you know, some are straightforward. We, you know, we present uh, or the patients, you know, maybe it's briefly discussed newly diagnosed and we just know what, you know, the surgical treatment or radiation treatment or whatever, uh, particularly in the advanced cancers. Uh, again, this is where that multi, uh, this multi person, multi-personnel team is really important because we can talk about many of these factors. Doctor, thank you, Doctor Berman, yeah. for for um, this is a nice segue into sort of the advanced cancers. Because Doctor Papa Giorgio, um, I'd love to one hear you elaborate more on what a medical oncologist and sort of what your specific role is. And I just had a list here when I when we were asking people about this program that people really wanted to hear like sort of you know chemo and then targeted therapies and immunotherapy. Those are some of the words. Uh, sure. do, do you mind sort of like tying that into how a, you as a medical oncologist, your oncology practice focuses on those sure. kinds of those kinds of issues yeah. as well. Oncology, as the uh, uh, as the name the name implies, it has to do yeah. with the medical aspect of care, so not a surgery or radiation, but most of the like molecular therapies, chemotherapy, medicines in general to treat cancer. And uh, going back to the uh, remember the introduction that we talked about the squamous and the basal cell. Uh, they have different molecular pathways. So the basal cell has this embryonal pathway, the hedgehog pathway, which was supposed to be silent in an adult, is only active in embryos. But for some reason, it remains constitutively active in the basal cell, uh, the basal cell membrane. So now we have this, what we call hedgehog inhibitors for advanced um, um, uh, basal cell uh, cancer uh, attacking uh, that particular uh, pathway, which appears to be the driveway uh, of the growth and the proliferation. The squamous cell, remember the squamous cells are on top of the basal cells? Mm -hmm. So as they grow from the basal cells upward, and maybe that's why it's just a theory, <laughs> that's why we have the hedgehog pathway, which is embryonal, because it does give rise and birth to the squamous cells. Uh, the squamous cells, as they grow and rise to the surface, they, they acquire mutations. And above all, they, lo they lose what we call the P53 tumor suppressor gene, which is considered the guardian of the genome. So once they lose that, they are more prone to mutations. So uh, the squamous cell cancer has a lot more mutations. And that's why maybe, remember what we said at the beginning, it's more aggressive than a basal cell. The basal cell tends to be quiet and local versus more likely the squamous tends to metastasize. And you'll see more of that advanced stage in a squamous cell, cell setting. And that's when we start talking about immunotherapy because the tumor burden of mutations in that sense makes it more prone to modulation with agents like immunotherapeutic agents. Um, like uh, we have now Keytruda uh, that is FDA approved and semiplimab, uh, which is both of them are considered equally efficacious and effective as immunotherapy agents for 
uh, squamous cell um, cancer in the first line setting. Um, and um, there is, I would like to kind of uh, have just one minute. Uh, I'm personally interested in the RAS activation pathway, the RAS make ERK. Uh, is a different mm, pathway okay. that appears to be active in squamous cell. And uh, we, we, it, it, there appears to be some relationship with uh, agents like micronutrients and metals like, again, copper. And this is the, uh, the part that I'm interested in. And uh, here at Mizzou, we are, I'm lucky enough to be working with the basic scientist, Dr. Petris, to kind of modify and try to find answers with new agents like chelators to treat skin cancers um, in that setting, because and you know uh, you know mostly again squamous are the ones that have those numerous and weird mutations that may be metal dependent. Um, yeah, and Dr. Papa Giorgio, thank you for bringing because a lot of folks the, 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 we had the conversations about those two terms, and they might be only familiar uh, to folks who have been uh, sort of diagnosed or have gone through sort of this this. Um, this 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 can, particular cancer experience. I was wondering, and, and maybe Dr. Biederman, you can touch on this too. One of the, the phrases that we've talked about or have heard a lot about when people are diagnosed, this is not going to be new to you, and you guys touched on this, but we want to specifically talk about wait and watch and active surveillance because a lot of people ask, ask if you know how, how they get the, that kind of feedback from the doctors when they they you know are go in for their screenings or when they've been diagnosed or when they, something has been detected. Do you mind kind of saying you know? In, in terms of advanced non-melanoma um, uh, uh, skin cancers, where is where where does watch and wait and active surveillance come into play, if it does at all? Yes. So it kind of gets back to our, you know kind of what we started where I started talking about at the beginning of like you know how you define advanced yeah. you know uh, squamous or basal yeah. cell carcinoma. Yeah. So I'd say those terms probably shouldn't be used for most uh, advanced stages. Again, how I view yeah. advanced stages. You know, because there you're going to need active treatment. So we're going to need to cut it out, sometimes add radiation, sometimes add, you know, chemotherapy, systemic therapy. Um, you know, the, the areas where this may come into play are going to be people who are prone to forming lots of, you know, small uh, skin cancers. Again, um, you know, maybe you have a small, le- you know, I've got several lesions. I've, you know, I've got a couple of patients where, you know, I've treated some, our dermatology colleagues have, and they get to this point of sometimes some fatigue. You know, you biopsy, you know it is, it's a small lesion, and we may just closely monitor this because we don't have to put them under treatment for every single lesion. Sometimes these actually regress, getting back to some of these things, you know, we talked about the immune surveillance. Even if a cancer gets past that, and even if the cancer, you know, gets all these mutations and starts to starts to form, sometimes these small, you know, tumors can actually uh, again, they're can be indolent. They're not necessarily going to do very much. And I've seen some actually just kind of regress and just go away on their own. May not mean that they're gone, but that's really where you want to do more active surveillance. And again, the key part of that is active. That means you're actually seeing the doctor on a regular basis. Yeah. Not oh, they told me not to worry about it and don't do it for anything for three years. I would not recommend that approach. Um, but for advanced advanced cancers, I think the, the the key is that we do need to have, you know, uh, an act, a, a regular treatment regimen. And again, that's going to use local therapy and hopefully we don't have to use systemic therapy, but it's Dr. Papa George is there when, when we need him. Uh, I completely so agree. Dr. Peterman, thank you. Yeah. I think uh, we're going to, we're going to take a break in just a couple of seconds, but I also, this is setting up what we're going to talk about in the next segment. I'd love to hear your thoughts and on a, areas that we hear a lot from patients. And those are why sometimes people don't continue with their treatment or they fall out of of some of their of some of their recommendations from their their teams, and also about the very important issue of uh, body uh, image, in particular for skin cancers. 
Um, this is Ted Miller with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes, but before we go, we want to thank our, our generous sponsors, Sanofi Genzyme and Regeneron. I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Hello, this is Ted Miller, and welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we're talking a bit about advanced non-melanoma skin cancers with Drs. Greg Biederman and Christos Papagiorgio. This next segment is going to really focus on the personal experience of people who receive this diagnosis. Uh, doctors, as I mentioned uh, during our break, we at the Cancer Support Community have done exhaustive research about the, can- the experience of patients not, and, and what really causes them to sometimes you know, resist treatment or gives them so it becomes a source of anxiety if they're undergoing treatment. And when we talk about skin cancers, we can't really have a conversation without touching on body issues. So uh, and, and what that, that means for someone who's going through a diagnosis like this one. So I just want to open it up to if you want to share, you know, some you know, so, so stories about, you know, from patients that, that based on your experience or any like words of advice you have for folks who may be, you know, struggling with that particular issue. Sure, I can, I can take that first. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Uh, you know, I, I think it gets back to the, so skin cancer in general, you know, is, as we talked about, as I mentioned a couple of times, sun exposed yeah. areas. So that's, you know, your face, your neck, upper back, mm-hmm. arms. So in terms of body issues, this is, tends to be in cosmetic areas, you know, so around the eyes, nose, you know, ears, lips, uh, neck, uh, hands. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's always a concern with patients. And, you know, I think, uh, there's, there's two parts to that. Number one is, um, is a, yeah, certainly trying to do multiple surgeries, trying to do multiple biopsies in some of these areas, I think can lead, lead to patients wanting to essentially kind of check out, if you will. Um, uh, there's a term called, you know, surgical fatigue, meaning that you've had multiple biopsies, multiple procedures, and some of these patients are, okay, I'm, I, I don't want that anymore. Um, you know, that's when we look at some alternate options. Again, that's sometimes when I get involved too, uh, again, more with the earlier stage. I think with advanced stage, you know, the one thing I kind of want to emphasize is, is that, you know, I, we're cognizant, we worry about the cosmetic side of things and, and, and how this is going to affect them down the road. But, um, you know, not some, you know, the tumors themselves, once they get to an advanced stage, are not going to go away on their own. And many times can cause the same type of problems that we would worry that the treatment's going to do. So, again, a lesion around the eye or the nose, we think, ah, I don't want the doctor to radiation, what I do, or surgery, you know, what my colleagues do around that area because it may be disfiguring. But then we see some of those patients then present back sometimes later when the cancer has sometimes done the same, same issues. So, you know, now we're talking about bigger uh, treatments. So I think this idea for early stage cancers, you know, we talked about the watch and wait surveillance. I think for some of them, it can be, it can be okay to maybe put the pause on that. Um, particularly if it is going to be a very, you know, uh, um, um, uh, delicate area, you know, face where, where, you, where you may worry about that. But for the advanced cancers, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but that's the, that's the conversation I have with them is sometimes this is going to be worse if we don't take the opportunity to give you the best care now. 
uh, and maybe cause more stress, more harm, more disfigurement at a later date. Dr. Papagiorgio, do you have any, what about you on your end? How, what are some of the patient conversations you have, especially specifically about like body image and how people yeah. you know, perceive or, or view that as a risk of continuing treatment? Sure, thank you. Um, so um, Dr. Biederman saw uh, very well described uh, patients from the local perspective because he does see those earlier uh, mm -hmm. stage uh, patients. By the time I see the patient, uh, yeah. usually we talk about systemic therapy. So my concern about adherence usually involves side effects from, uh, from therapy. So um, uh, I usually have, uh, we have to either uh, stop usually again with it. Remember we talked about basal cell and the hedgehog pathway. Uh, which is an interesting gene, by the way, that was found in Drosophila. And it, the, when it's lacking, it, Drosophila looks like a hedgehog. That's why it was named hedgehog. And that's why you talk about hedgehog yeah. inhibitors. So that's those he hedgehog inhibitors uh, that uh, Odomzo and Erivege that have been FDA approved, they cause a lot of side effects that have to do with especially the Erivege or um, the... Uh, 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 musculoskeletal pain and uh, and uh, sometimes it can be severe and um, uh, versus the domzo that causes weight loss fatigue and both mm. of them cause extreme fatigue and uh, and those can become issues very serious ones about because it, they do affect the quality of uh, a patient's life mm -hmm. so we we have to talk about taking breaks and not giving up um, and um, or, or or dose reduce, uh, and again not giving up. And it is important to keep following up these patients as frequently as possible, sometimes weekly or biweekly, in order to see uh, how they tolerate, uh, you know, the, uh, the the cumulative dose of therapy during systemic therapy. So uh, my uh, problem usually uh, are again side effects from systemic therapy more than. Uh, anything else? And doctor, doctor, thank you, Dr. Papa Georgia, because I think, you know, we've all touched on this as, you know, cancer is a very personal experience. All, you know, people might have similar diagnoses, but they really, their, their sort of personal reaction may be different. Uh, Dr. Biederman, kind of what, what, what kind of support services do you think folks you've, you've described, what should they, how should they be seeking those out or what you would, what would, what would you recommend that they do? And yeah. I know that we just, yeah. So again, it's, well, I mean, great, great segue with what you said. I mean, these are all personal things for, for everyone's can be different. I think, you know, and support systems can be various different ways, you know, obviously internal support. So friends and family, or, you know, someone that you may know, obviously the medical support, you know, seeking out multiple opinions from some of us and uh, on the team, um, you know, other support systems we have again with some of these treatments, you know, they can be challenging from, you know, we talked about the kind of the cosmetic side and the social side, but there's also the financial side. Uh, you know, these are, can be expensive treatments. They're coming to see doctors on a regular basis. You know, I do radiation, as I said, mostly for many patients, it's every day, Monday through Friday. They live two hours away. You know, we're doing this, let's say, six weeks of treatment. That 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 becomes a challenge. So social work is a very important part of our, mm -hmm. our team here. And we, you know, and the social worker plays multiple roles. You know, that is social support. It is financial assistance. Um, you know, and it helps you know get some needs and helps get them in contact with other networks out there. Um, you know, pre-COVID, you know, there were support groups. You know, some of the patients to kind of help you know give their own personal experience. I think that's very important. I think there's some equivalents on social media maybe that people can do now, but I don't know if they're as well. Uh, you know, 
um, you know, how those channels are. I know some of the ones we supported here, we sometimes had the physicians and nurses at them to at least interject the medical side of it. Um, um, so, but, you know, those are some of the resources, obviously there's putting a lot of, you know, support systems in the community. I mean, you're, you're, you're part of, of, of groups that are trying to help uh, promote that and improve that. And that's wonderful. And I think, you know, these are the types of groups that we need to get the, the, the names out to and get our patients connected yeah. with. And Dr. Biederman, you're singing our, the, our song in terms of the cancer support community. We uh, are an organization that has a licensed mental health professionals and many, many social workers who are uh, dedicated to providing the kind of support and navigation services you uh, you identified. And so I want to just remind uh, our listeners that our website, cancersupportcommunity.org, is a way to go through and, and find where the resources, including some local locations where you can get kind of in-person uh, services across the country. And I also just want to put a plug in for our helpline where you can also get uh, free uh, support services from licensed professionals. That number is one eight is 888. 793-9355. And I know that there's so much more we can talk when it comes to advanced non-melanoma skin cancers, but uh, Drs. Biederman and Papa Giorgio, it's been wonderful having you here. Uh, the patients at, at the Ellis Fischel uh, Cancer Center in uh, Columbia, Missouri are fortunate to have your expertise, um, you know, if they have and unfortunately have to deal with, a, with this kind of a diagnosis. But we appreciate you coming on the show again today. And uh, you know, look forward to maybe having you back and as, as you know, as treatments continue to evolve, but uh, it's really great to have two um, recognized experts in this field uh, come and talk, uh, talk to us, uh, frankly speaking, about cancer and give patients an insight into how they could navigate this experience uh, better and uh, also become more empowered and informed when they uh, meet with their doctors uh, and their healthcare team. So, uh, this again is Ted Miller, the host of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I again want to thank our sponsors, Sanofi, Genzyme, and Regeneron. Um, and uh, until the next time, please be well and and uh, live well. Uh, and we'll, we'll look, for, look forward to our next episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer in the next couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support community.org.